It's a season wrap-up show for the Pinstripe Pod, unfortunately. Nelly and I will put a bow on another frustrating ending to the Yankee season, and we look forward to what the offseason holds for the Bronx Bombers. We'll also welcome in Yankees legend Ron Guidry as he will help us remember another Yankees icon lost in Whitey Ford. It's all next on the season finale of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All rise, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Welcome back to our last pinstripe pod of the season. Our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post will return when any big Yankees news hits us in the offseason. So probably in November when the hot stove starts crackalacking. I'm Chris Sheeran alongside my co-host, former lockdown Yankees reliever, four-time World Series champion Jeff Nelson. Give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran. Yes, and Nelly is NYNelly43. Make sure to catch up on all episodes of the Pinstripe Pod by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, where you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review. We appreciate it. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, or Google as well. You can also find Renaissance Man there, the New York Post podcast with the great Jalen Rose. And we welcome in my tag team partner, Jeff Nelson. Now, and uh, Nelly, we start with some sad news first, and that is the passing of Yankees icon legend Whitey Ford. I know you've come across uh, paths with Whitey, uh, whether it been at the Old Timers Day when you were a Yankee or down at spring training or maybe fantasy camp. Just what are some of your recollections and, and, and what are your feelings about the passing of Whitey? Yeah, I mean, this has been a tough 2020 period. And then all of a sudden you start – you know, it always seems like some Yankee great has passed away during the year. And, you know, it always happens during Old Timers Day and you're, you're looking up at the big screen and you're hearing all the or seeing all these players and front office people that uh, they honor. And, and now it's going to be Whitey Ford. And I saw that the Yankees honored him with this number on, the, on his sleeve. And that's usually what the, you know, the Yankees always do. They honor that player with either a band or, or their number on their sleeve. Uh, you know, I, I got to meet him a bunch of times and it was all been Old Timers Day. You know, I never had the, you know, it wasn't for enough to watch him pitch but you know he was he was amazing to talk to I mean he was uh, especially earlier when and even when I was a player when when he was able to obviously communicate and get around a lot easier and, and talk to a bunch of the players you know he was he was always he was always one of those guys that were you, know, you could always go up to him uh, you could always talk baseball to him he, he just loved talking baseball he just loved meeting everyone and you know, it was a thrill to me. You know, I grew up in Baltimore and only knew the history of the Yankees, never was really a Yankee fan. But once I became a Yankee, then, you know, the old timer's day was such a favorite, favorite time of mine. And, you know, you get to see all these guys and they would be in our locker room. And, and that's the biggest thrill. I mean, now we're in a, a, an auxiliary locker room that, you know, we don't even associate with the players and we're not even allowed in that locker room. You know, you try to sneak in the back when, when they're old clubhouse guys. But, uh, you know, back then, I mean, they wanted you, they wanted these players in the locker room to be able to talk to the current players and that was a thrill to me yeah we're going to talk more about the passing of whitey ford uh, who is the winningest yankees pitcher in the team's history with 236 wins and uh we'll talk about whitey with one of the guys in the top five on that list and that is another legend in his own right uh the great ron gidry he joins us later in the show but first nelly 
let's talk about another disappointing end to another uh, season here for the New York Yankees. And that is their loss, of course, in the ALDS to the Tampa Bay Rays. And I'll just start it off with a blanket statement, Nelly, and get your thoughts. And I'm going to be completely honest here. The better team won, and the better team was the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, you're right. You know, you look at this shortened season, 60 games, and, you know, you hear people say, oh, you know, you really can't, you know, before you start going into the offseason and pressing the panic button about, oh, you know, you really, how can you grade people on 60 games? I mean, some clubs will come through. I mean, for instance, the Marlins. The Marlins in a full season are not a playoff team. A 60-game season, they're a playoff team. But I don't believe you can do that with the Yankees. I don't think you can sit there and say, oh, you know what, you know, if you had 162 games, maybe it'd have been different. The Rays still would have been there with you. you know, the Rays are a very good club. They were built, I mean, maybe a lot more for a 60-game season. But the Yankees are supposed to come into 2020 right there with the Dodgers as the best team in baseball. And that didn't happen. I don't know if it if it took them by surprise, but you know, maybe it didn't take a lot of people by surprise because if you look at the end, they were they were competing with Seattle. They were competing with, uh, you know, teams below them for that eighth spot there for a while before they won those 10 games in a row and turned things around. I mean, you know, this is a very disappointing season. This is not a success. You know, it's it's a time it's time to get back to where it was. If you don't go to the World Series or if you don't win a World Series, then it's a failure. And it is. It's a failure. You know, one World Series in 20 years. One and there's been no accountability. You know, I don't know where, who, who's going to be accountable for this. You know, is it going to be, you know, there, you, we have too many analytics. You, you know, we start scripting games too much. You know, it's just, uh, it's a shame. I mean, I, you know, obviously I played during some great years, but there was always accountability if we didn't win. Uh, you, you never, you were never satisfied until you went to the World Series and won the World Series. It wasn't just, hey, you know what? We got to the playoffs and that was our goal. Well, that seems to be the, the attitude right now to me. I, I don't know. There just seems like there's a different air, Nelly, and I'm going to bring up something, and, and, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, because in 1997, against the Indians, when you all lost in 97, Paul O'Neill hit a double in that last inning with you guys trailing, and, and I can remember very vividly, you were in the dugout, you, you would you would pitch, or you were in the game at that moment, and O'Neill hit that double and hugged second base, and you saw the reaction in the in the dugout, and, and you, I, I don't think, and you could... You could Google this. You you could go on YouTube and you could all watch this. You could see the faces in that Yankee dugout, how locked in they were to this game. And that loss, Nelly, to me, I don't know. You have to tell me you were in the clubhouse afterwards. When you came back and won in 98, 99, and 2000, you can't tell me for a second that that 97 loss to the Indians didn't leave a bad taste in your mouth and a taste that lasted for those three years. It did. You know, usually I, I pitched in that game. And after I pitched, I always went up into the locker room. I never really sat in the dugout when I was done. But I was in the dugout during that time uh, when O'Neill hit the double. Uh, and I was watching the rest of it on TV. And I just couldn't believe my eyes, you, you know, after you win the World Series in 96, you know, New York has always been a team that was had no room for a complacency. You know, you were never complacent for just winning one World Series. You had to keep you know, getting there. I mean, the fans, the media and Mr. Steinbrenner made sure that this team was never complacent, that there was always something to shoot for. And you had to win the World Series or if it wasn't a successful season. I remember going and flying home from Cleveland and uh, there was a lot of guys that went out after once we got back. And I remember coming in to clean out my locker the next day. And I saw this uh, on, on the back of the, uh, one of the papers and it said something like, uh, you know, the Yankees lost. I mean, something that into the effect that it, it was no big deal 
deal. And they had a bunch of, uh, they named a bunch of players that were out and they had pictures of them. And, uh, but that wasn't a good thing. And, and, you know, back then the media held you accountable. You had people that held accountable. You know, you look at Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, I just read something or I just heard something on, on Twitter when it said, uh, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner was quoted, you show me someone who, who's a, who likes losing or, or something like that. And then, and they're a good loser or whatever it was. I'll find out what it is. But I mean, he hated to lose. And, and no matter what he did, if we, he lost, he made sure that next year you were not losing. And he held people accountable. And, you know, this is not this is not the Yankee way. This is not New York. I mean, in one one World Series in, in 20 years. I mean, this is uh, and with the teams and the money that they spend, you know, that just that's just uncalled for. Yeah, I, I looked up the quote for you. You show me a good loser. And I'll show you a loser. That's that's the quote from George Steinbrenner. Uh, and, and that's basically it. And you know, Nelly, I, I got to thinking about this Yankee offense, especially uh, after this loss to the Tampa Bay Rays in this year's ALDS. Because I remember very vividly in 2017, because I pay attention to this stuff, when they lost to the Astros. And yeah, the Astros got caught doing what they were doing in 2017. But the Yankees batters went three for 30 in that game seven in 2017 in the ALCS. So it got me thinking, let me, let me see the last four elimination games, what the Yankees have put together as an offense. And they're 21 for 124, which is a 169 batting average. That's just not going to cut it. And if you take out the 10 hits uh, that they had in last year's ALCS game six loss to the Astros, once again, uh, where they lost six to four, uh, the last three elimination games, 11 for 89. That's against the Astros, uh, the Red Sox, and the Rays. That's a 123 average. Jeff, that's just not going to do it. I mean, you can't take a dirt nap on offense in the biggest game of the season. And it seems like every elimination game, the opposing team that the Yankees eventually lose to have a better pitching staff. And that's where I want to go as we head towards the hot stove here. What do the Yankees need, Jeff? And I looked up some relief pitchers that are free agents. You have Liam Hendricks out there. You have Blake Trinan out there. You have Shane Green out there. I think the Yankees have to improve their bullpen. And I really think if you want the sledgehammer, Nelly, if you want that better rotation, if you want a one-two punch that you could truly count on, because, yeah, Severino's coming back. Yeah, Herman potentially coming back. You have those two coming back. You have a free agent in Pat. Who, who, who might be gone. You have a free agent in Tanaka who might be gone. And Japan is offering him a ton of money. We'll get into that too. But this team, their offense, you know, it, it could afford to take a dirt nap when there's better pitching, but the Yankees always lose to teams with better staffs, and that has to change. It does have to change, and, you, you know, offensively, they're too right-handed to me. I don't like that. that too. You know, That's a great point. I even saw something that, you know, they had a, a projected lineup, and D.D. Gregorius was in that lineup as a shortstop and moving Torres back to second base, which I think they need to do. He's not a he's not a shortstop. Agreed. Uh, and that means LeMahieu yeah, – try and do anything you can to sign this guy back. He fits perfectly in New York and he fits perfectly at, at first base. And that means uh, the home run leader for the AL, uh, you either try to move him and maybe package him with something or even move him for a starter or even another reliever. Uh, you have Gary Sanchez that I think you need to move on from, uh, whether you try to go out and get real Muto because he's going to get a lot of offers out there. Maybe he wants to stay in the National League. Maybe he wants to come to New York. Uh, that's that's a, a guy there. It's probably one of the best catchers in baseball right now. 
now. And Sanchez will bring you a lot, could bring you another starter. I just don't know how much the Yankees are interested in going out and getting Bauer. I do believe, and I agree with you, that they need a guy behind Cole. That you don't know what you're going to get from Severino. You have no idea. Herman has had a whole year off, so you really don't know what you're going to get from him. Does that save his arm? Does he come back and he throws well? I mean, what kind? I mean, if you have fans in the stands, is that going to get to him as far as Nelly, what he did? You know, Nelly, that, that, to me, you just spent all that money on Garrett Cole. And I just I just wanted to piggyback on what you were saying. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but and I'm going to let you keep going. But you are taking a huge gamble and a huge risk if you are betting on Severino and Herman and a combination of the kids that they have, and including Montgomery in that mix too. And Montgomery, you know what? He gave you four solid innings and did what he had to do. He he, he surprised the heck out of me. I don't know about you, but he, he surprised. I didn't think the Yankees were going to get out of game four. And it was because of Montgomery's performance that they were able to get to a game five. So you got to throw him into the mix too. But to me, Nelly, you are taking a gigantic Vegasian gamble going Cole and Severino because you don't know what Sever you still, he's a question mark. Right. He hasn't been on the field consistently in order to come up with that. And if, you, if you're going to sit there as a fan and, and throw that he's an ace in my face, if you're going to sit there and tell me that being an ace and going out in an AL wild card game in a game where you have to give length, you give four innings, you need 80 pitches to navigate four innings. That's not an ace to me. That's not the, that may be the definition of a millennial ace. That's not the definition of an ace to me. You want to call me a boomer? Go ahead. I'm a Gen Xer. You're wrong. You're an idiot. And if you think 80 pitches over four innings, four freaking innings is an ace, and that qualifies you to be an ace, and you beat your chest and you get a standing ovation walking off the mound after four innings, you're out of your freaking mind. I agree. They need a number two, and Severino fits more as a number three. I can't see him bringing back Tanaka or Paxton. If they bring back both of those or even one of those, and you're looking at 2020 all over again, and we talked about complacency, and then all of a sudden the anchors are being complacent, saying, oh, let's bring back Tanaka. No, I don't think you do that. You let Montgomery, you let Garcia. One of those are going to probably be the odd man out, especially if you go and get a pitcher. It's time to part ways with some of these guys that they've been so, so reluctant to trade, whether uh, whether you give Frazier the shot in the outfield, which I think he probably deserves a whole year he does. in the Yankee outfield and let him have five to 600 ABs and see what he can do. Were you, uh, were you but, surprised he didn't get a chance to pinch hit in game five? Yes. I mean, this is this is what I'm saying about as far as scripting a, a postseason game. We talked about this on uh, last week when they said A-Rod Neat said finally something smart and said front office needs to stay <laughs> You know, yes, you know, during the playoffs, front office, stay out of it. You know, it's it's exhausting to continue to see how teams script their way through playoffs and it does not work. You know, the Rays and Kevin Cash seemed to me that they did not script their way through a five game series with the Yankees. And it doesn't seem they're doing it again against the Astros. And I don't want to hear any Yankee fan or anybody say if the Rays go to the World Series, well, at least we lost to the team that went to the World Series. What is that, a moral victory? I mean, come on now. You know, the Yankees should have ended this in four games. They should be playing Houston right now in the ALCS. And in game two, Nelly, where, where they tried to reinvent the wheel, uh, which many people said, um, not just us, uh, Mike Zanino and Manuel Margot, they had one hit apiece, one hit 
in the ALDS apiece. They both came in that game. They both came off J-Hap and they were both home runs. So you try to out... See, this is what I couldn't understand. And I know we're trying to talk about the future, but it's hard to forget about the recent past. And I don't want to keep harping on it, but when you try to out small market, a small market team, when you're not a small market team, that just makes no sense to me. I, I, I just don't get it. No, it doesn't. And, and you, you're then you're running, the, you know, you look at the, besides throwing a ton of money at Garrett Cole, there's been a lot of free agents out there that have chose not to play in New York, that have gone the other way. It's not chose to take the money that, that New York is, is offering. That's played a big part over the last five or six years of what I've seen, unless you're going to throw $300 million at someone like Garrett Cole. Uh, you know, you look at what they did with Tanaka and the interview process and, and you know, throwing a ton of money at him. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees do. They have to make their team better. They cannot go into 2021 thinking that they're one of the best teams in baseball because they thought that in 2020, and I don't care if it was 162 games or 60 games, they weren't. It's just, Jeff, it's just, to me, tell me if I'm wrong, please. You're a former major leaguer. If I'm wrong, I'm not going to get upset if you tell me. I, I respect the hell out of you, okay? But your bullpen is markedly better if you have two to three guys at the top of your rotation that can give you length. And look, I'm not saying that these guys have to go out there and throw eight innings every time they start. I mean, it would be ideal, but we're not talking about a rotation that's filled with guys like from the 95 Braves you're talking about, Maddox, Glavin, and uh, and Smoltz. I, I get it. You're not going to have those three guys. I understand that. But if, if you were to go out and you were to throw some money at a guy like Bauer and you had a one-two punch. I mean, that's a jab and a haymaker. And that's a hell of a jab, by the way, if you're talking about Cole. But you brought up Tanaka, so let me go there really quick. Tanaka, the qualifying offer was just reported to be $18.9 million. I don't think I'd be comfortable... As the Yankees, I know you get draft pick compensation back if he turns it down and signs someplace else. You get draft compensation from that team that he signs with. But if you're Masahiro Tanaka and you just had the playoffs that you had, do you say no to almost $19 million to come back for a year with the Yankees? I don't know. But Japan, his former team, the Rackets and Eagles, are reportedly set to offer him 20 to $25 million a year. The highest paid player in that league right now is Tomiyuki Sagano. He's the pitcher for the Yamamori Giants. He's making $6 million. I don't know if you're Masahiro Tanaka, if you could turn down 20 to 25 to go back to Japan. No, I don't think you do. And I don't think the Yankees, I, I would hope that the Yankees don't try to sign him back and don't give him the qualifying offer and just say, you know what, we, we, we just can't go that route. Because like I said, it's 2020 all over again, and it just didn't work out. Let him go back to Japan. I don't think he signs anywhere else. If it's not with the Yankees, he does go back to Japan. I don't think the Yankees should go down that route. I hope they don't. I hope they explore other opportunities, whether it's Bauer or in the trade market. I looked at the free agent pitching, uh, starting pitching for this coming year, and it's not great. The list is not great. You have Trevor Bauer. You have you have a, a few other fours and fives, in my opinion, that you might be able to go out and get, but you already have that. You already have Garcia Montgomery. There's not a guy on that list that thrills me, and you're going to have to go out and try to trade for that. They're built to hit home runs. And then you look at the Rays series, and the Tampa Bay Rays out-homered the Yankees 11 to 10. 11 to 10. So they were beaten at their own game by the Rays, not only pitching Jeff, but home runs as well. So I know back in the 90s, and, and I know fans maybe don't want me to harp on this, but it wasn't just home runs. It was manufacturing runs with that team. And I'm not saying that this year's team didn't manufacture runs because they did. During their 10-game winning streak, there were games where they didn't hit home runs and they scored 10 to 12 runs. I mean, the team was able to do that. Stringing hits together, they were able to do that without bunting. I get it. You don't have to bunt. When you have the offensive firepower that the Yankees have, 
yeah, you could go up there and you could hope for the three, two, three, four run, uh, grand slam every once in a while. But when you look at the numbers and you see that the Rays out homered you, that also just has you scratching your head as a fan. Yeah. And then you know what? You always, I, I think something that, uh, well, to my opinion, it just seems that the Yankees go into spring training assuming that everybody's going to stay healthy. And when you have history there, uh, you look at this lineup and you, and even on the pitching staff and you have history of guys going down and I'm just going to say they take vacations, but they, you know, at some point during the year, they miss time. Uh, you have two big bats in Stanton and Judge that now have history, uh, past history of a number of years of being on the IL and staying on it for a number of times. You have to prepare yourself in spring training knowing that this could be a possibility, that you can't assume that either one of them is going to give you 150 games. Uh, you know, I, And another thing that we brought up earlier, I don't think Torres is a shortstop. You have to move him back to second base. You have to answer whether it's uh, Simmons out in, in Anaheim. He's an unbelievable shortstop. Or you bring back Didi from the left side, which I think he had the injury, but he's one of the best. I mean, I loved and him as a game. lefty and it's a lefty yeah. back in the lineup too. Right. And you know, you got to explore that and, and you know, it's uh, you got to have some left-handed power. Uh, you got to figure out some way to mix up the right-handed bats because they're getting beat in the playoffs and, and they're getting beat offensively. They're getting beat on the mound. They're getting beat everywhere. And defensively, they yeah. were not good this year. No, they're terrible. And you got to move. I'm sorry. Gary Sanchez is probably going to be a great major leaguer, you know, maybe for another team, but not for the Yankees. And guys, a lot to address in the offseason, and we'll come back at you with shows in the offseason when news does happen. Breaking news, by the way, Rick Renteria is gone with the White Sox, so a little bit of a shocker there. Wow. Um, they have moved on after making the playoffs and shocking people. They were uh, a year ahead. Yeah, so it must be something more to that, but that just broke. Um, obviously, tragic passing, and we talk about it with uh, Ron Guidry. Is Joe Morgan passed away? He joins Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, all dying the past six weeks. We're losing a lot of baseball legends this year. Um, and just want to close it on this guy. It's been a fun first season of the show. Obviously, we had a lot to battle. Here's what happened. The timeline kind of was we announced the, the start of the show, the first episode, Literally 48 hours after we launched the first episode, the world basically shuts down. <laughs> All sports shuts down. That first week, it was like March 11th. It was days after I saw Celine Dion in concert. Uh, the, the world shuts down. And Wait, then, did you just admit that? Yes, and I enjoyed every second of it, and I may have lost my voice. Uh, so, yes, that did happen, and that was the last concert we may ever see for a while. Now, but yeah. your thoughts? <laughs> Listen, who doesn't love Celine Dion? Come you admitted on. it. Yeah, you ever, I mean, the soothing sounds of Celine Dion. But yes, that, the world shut down. So we battled a lot of, just like everyone in the world, uh, doing the show from home, not being able to get all the guests we hope for, not doing shows from the stadium. So the hope is for next year. We're expand the pinstripe pod a lot more. We want to thank our guests this season. Of course, Ken Davidoff, who became a good friend of the program, uh, George King, Joel Sherman's Hot Corner segment, Jim Layritz. Ken Singleton, friend of the program, Willie Randolph. I'm just going in order of, you know, the past interviews here. Willie Randolph was terrific. Bob Lorenz, Chaz Palminteri, as yes, I do still owe you guys a steak dinner, and we will have to do it at Chaz's spot. So that will happen. We'll get video evidence, and we'll post it to Twitter. Chris <laughs> Carlin was great. Meredith Morakovitz, uh, Jack Curry, David Cohn, uh, Graham Lloyd, Homer Bush, Luis Soho, Brian Bowringer, Ron Bloomberg, Tim Raines, John Flaherty, Cecil Fielder, Michael Kay, Charlie Hayes, Johnny Damon, Chris Chambliss, Nick Turturro, Dasha Polanco, Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill. So a hell of a lineup in season one of Pinstripe Pod. 
and it's been fun, guys. Uh, and now, coming up next on the Pinstripe Pod, you guys will talk with a Yankee legend, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, to honor the passing of the icon, Whitey Ford. Joining us now, Yankees legend Ron Guidry. He's a two-time World Series champ, a four-time All-Star, the winner of the 1978 Cy Young Award, and also came in second in the MVP voting that same year as well. Jim Rice from the Red Sox beat him out, but I tend to disagree with that. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Here to talk about Whitey Ford and, and Gator, just basically, what did Whitey mean to you? Uh, growing up, you idolized Whitey and Sandy Koufax. So what did he mean to you when you started your Yankee career? Well, uh, you know, when when you first meet him, when you first meet your heroes, you know, you most of the time you're just quiet. You don't say anything. You don't want to intrude. But I was fortunate because in the 70s, you still had a lot of the great 50 and 60 Yankee teams. You had those members who were still alive. And it's it's those teams that a lot of people, you know, remembered the Whitey, Mickey, Barris, uh, Trash, Boy, you know, that group of guys. So, you know, my, uh, and Yogi, yeah, you, when you walk in the clubhouse, especially for Old Timers Day, which was the biggest day of the year for us, even though we played all years, 162 games, we actually looked forward to that one day in July. Because when you'd walk in that locker room and you'd see all of those guys, it was just jaw-dropping. And uh, Nelly knows, Peachy, he used to, uh, the clubhouse guys would always put a player in your locker. I had Allie Reynolds and Vic Rashi, two old-timers, and you learn. And, you know, when those gentlemen passed away, I acquired uh, Whitey. So Whitey and I really had a great relationship, and plus he started to come to spring training. So when you have a guy like that, that you know all about, and then he starts talking to you about pitching, you know you've reached somewhere that a lot of people would love to reach. But he was very easy to talk to, and uh, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, we we became great friends. Yeah, Gator, I had Sparky Lyle in my locker. You're right. I You know, coming over, I was fortunate enough in Seattle, I caught a couple old-timers games when we came in to play the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And I remember Mickey Mantle and, and Rizzuto and DiMaggio and those type of players back then, and you, of course. And and then when I came over in 96, I mean, Mr. Steinmeier always wanted the old Yankees to come in. And he said, okay, I want these guys to rub off on all the all the new players. And, uh, yeah, I, I felt the same way. I, I look forward to it every single year that uh, that they were going to be in our locker room. But, you know, you talk about Whitey. What did you take from him? What, did, uh, what kind of advice did he give you? You know, I was the same way as far as listening to old old players like goose and you and and uh you know i i took that out on my mouth you know i I watched roger clemens and randy johnson and how they did their business what did whitey tell you what did you take from him well you know well he always would say it it didn't make a difference if you threw hard or not if you learn how to pitch and you learn the weaknesses that hitters have that's what you got to do you have to be yourself you can't try to be someone else uh, if you if you throw 75, you know, you can't throw 95. So learn to pitch 75. And, you know, when when Whitey would look at me and sit in my locker and he'd talk to me, okay, well, I threw much harder than Whitey, but that doesn't mean anything, okay? But what he would tell you is you have to just learn to pitch with the ability that you have. 
and you can do it. It just might be a tougher road, you know, not to be able to just throw the ball by someone, but you can do it. So, you know, and he would instill that in you all the time. And, you know, Jeff, when I say this, you'll know those guys, when you'd walk in, they wanted to know as much about you as you wanted to know about them. So, you know, he was always easy to talk to. Um, uh, And it's the same, like, you know, for me, when I'd go to spring training, uh, which I have always done since I've retired. If you wanted to ask something, just come ask. I'll talk. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go bother anybody, but that's how we are. If you want to know, we've been through all of it. Just come ask us. So that's what he'd do. And, and he, he had a way of just making you feel comfortable. And he, he, he would instill that confidence in you because him and, when you look at him and Yogi went to more World Series than anybody. So yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I would think that they'd know what they were talking about. <laughs> he, yeah, they went to a lot of World Series, that's for sure. And uh, Mike Vaccaro, who writes for the New York Post, Gator, uh, he had a column after Whitey passed away. And when a lefty for the Yankees seemed to do something very well, and that would be Andy Pettit and yourself, uh, in the 70s, of course, uh, Whitey would always get phone calls. And there was something in his column, in Mike's column, that I thought was extremely funny because he would be taking calls about something that you did in the 1978 season. And he told Mike, he said, you know, with a bright smile, if that SOB had only thrown right-handed, nobody would have ever ever bothered me. Does that right. sound just like Whitey? <laughs> You know, so, well, I got Let me tell you a quick story to tell you kind of like what Whitey is. It's one of the most treasured uh, compliments uh, I ever got from Whitey. We we were at an old timers game one day and I was sitting in between Mantle and Whitey. And Mantle looked at Whitey and, and he asked Whitey. And of course, Whitey's nickname is Slick. And Mickey turned around to Whitey and he said, hey, Slick. He said, if this guy would have been pitching with us in the 60s, how good do you think we would have been? And Whitey looked at me, then he looked back at Mickey, and he says, I don't know. He says, I really never thought of pitching from the two-hole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it just dropped me. I mean, I, I, my, my heart was pounding, and, and, uh, and he smiled. He looked at me, and he just kind of put his hand on my shoulder, and, you know, we just boom, we just kept talking about other things. But it was just like that, you know, and that's how he was. But he's uh, he, he was a, he was very fun. Now, I think I told uh, I think I used to do this with Nellie and, and uh, the guys uh, in spring training. When Whitey would come to spring training, when Billy Martin was the manager, now Billy and Whitey had a long tenure together. So they were pretty wild. And when the team bus would leave to go on a road trip for exhibition during spring training, Whitey, when he was there, he'd have control of the guys staying back. And he'd wait for the bus to get on um, Commercial Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. And then he'd, he'd call practice off because he'd play golf all the time. And he, Whitey had a, um, a thing with the bus driver. The bus driver had a walkie-talkie. And Whitey would keep a walkie-talkie in his pocket. And if Billy would turn around the bus to come back to see if we were still there, Whitey would key that uh, walkie-talkie. He'd press the button five or six times, and the and the 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 uh, the, but, uh, the driver would do the same thing. 
and one day the bus turned around and the bus driver keyed Whitey and he had already told us to go. So he called us all back and we were back on the field. And when Billy drove up, we were still there. And Whitey looked at it and he says, what's wrong? So, so that's what it was. He, he was great to have around. Uh, now, what did you, uh, you know, watching him, you know, you know, watching him pitch, what did you see from him and, and, and you know, how, about how he went about his business and how he faced hitters. Cause you just mentioned he didn't throw as hard as you. Right. But the thing is like, he was, he always gave you the impression that he was not afraid of anyone, even though he didn't throw hard, you know? So that that's what I kind of adopted. Look, they're great hitters there. They're going to get their hits. Um, you know, they hit great pitches. Uh, you know, the, I'd always laugh at my pitching coach. They'd always tell you, make good pitches and you'll get out. Yeah, you make good pitches, but, they, but they're so good, they actually hit those too. So, you know, he always gave me that feeling of, you know, when I walk out there, uh, you know, you have to come beat me, okay? I'm not going to shy away from you. I'm not going to run around and hide. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try to get you out. If you hit, I tip my cap. That's all I can do. And that's what he always did. He, he just gave you that feeling of, of confidence when you went out. Because if, if he could do it, you could do it. And especially when, you know, he would, like when you say my name, when you say Pettit's name, and some of the other great left-handers that were there, Rigetti, and, and, and there are more. You know, he always would tell those guys, you can do this. You as good as I am. Okay, so go do your job, you know, make make that uniform proud. And he had, you know, he was very proud of that uniform. That's for sure. That's huge. That that has to do a lot, Gator, for a player, a young player, especially to hear that coming from Whitey Ford. The guy has the most wins uh, in Yankee history with 236. He pitched to 33 consecutive scoreless innings in the World Series from 60 to 62. So hearing that from him and he just seemed like, you know, he always had that attitude like, Hey, I'm from New York. I'm just a kid from Queens. And, you know, I, I had a couple of good breaks. And if not for a couple of those good breaks, I wouldn't be here right now. He seemed like he was extremely down to earth. And it seemed like that endeared him the most, especially to guys like you. Well, yeah. I mean, he was, uh, you know, you would, when you're, when you're growing up and you idolize a guy like that, like I said, you know, you're growing up, you're going high school and, you know, you, you don't meet, I didn't meet Whitey until I was 25 years old. You know, you're going through all of this and you know all about him. You've watched him, you know, you, you know, all the stories. And, and then all of a sudden you get there, you put on the same uniform and then you start learning, you know, the real stories because you don't hear behind the scenes. You learn them when you get there. So, you know, like from Pete Sheehy and Nick Pior, the clubhouse guys who were there at my time, you get to learn more about who those guys actually were. And Pete would always tell me, but Whitey's just a plain, simple kid from New York. He just loved to play the game. And of course, when he got here, he just loved being here. And Pete would always say that, you know, what's happening to us, what, you know, what you experience, Whitey went through the same thing because when Whitey got to New York, the guys on those teams were phenomenal. And the pitchers who were there were, were Whitey's idols. So, you know, it's a never ending cycle with, you know, what happens to us happened to them too, but you don't think about it that way because they become such huge icons. 
You know, Gator, you said something that was interesting earlier that, uh, you know, when you, you come to spring training and when I first became a Yankee, Yankees are one of the few teams that bring back a lot of the alumni, the old players. And and when I was there, I loved it. I mean, when Goose, you, uh, you know, Mickey Rivers, you know, you just go on and on and you do, you you listen, you sit there and listen to you guys. I mean, the starters listen to you. I We would go, Goose would be down in the bullpen and, and you, you know, I actually was a teammate of his in, in uh, Seattle, one of his last years, but, you know, to, to listen to the guys. And now it seems to me it's changed a little bit. I mean, you guys come to spring training, you just mentioned that do players come up to you? Probably not as much, you know, and why don't they? I mean, you would think that what you've gone through, what everybody's gone through, that, that they'd want to know, hey, what's it like? I mean, give us, give me some, give me some insight. Yeah. Well, you know, it, the, the, you guys know just as well as I do, the game has changed so much. And a lot of it is a little bit different than just talking about what you have done or not, you know, because it's now a lot, it's analytical or whatever, you know, for, for good or bad, I, I don't know, you know, that's not my realm, but the, the players themselves are different, maybe because of uh, everything that they learned today about pitching. Maybe they just think that that's what they need to learn. Teaching robots, it seems like they're making them robots. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say robots, but, you know, give, give, give it a few more years and see. But, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, like in spring training, uh, you know, there are still some. And, and what, what you really go through is most of the time, uh, like I'm, spring, I'm at spring training, it's more of the left-handers than anybody else. Is getting to where, look, right-handers and left-handers, we used to always get along, but I'm not so sure they get along as much anymore because <laughs> what's good for a right-hander is not as good for a left-hander and vice versa. That's kind of like what I see. I'll have left-handers that will come over and talk to me still, and most of them will be young. The older guys, the established guys, the way it is today, they get. I think they get to a certain point and they think they know most of what they know, so they don't need any help. So, you know, fine with me. I just go about my business. Gator, yeah. I, I have to ask you this because it's one of my favorite memories of you, and it's a story, it's a story that you told in your book, and uh, it's about the 1978 one-game playoff and you knew Mr. Steinbrenner was going to be looking for you. And if you could just oh, take when us, I was sleeping under the bed. Yeah, if you could just take us through that story, <laughs> that would be tremendous. Well, you know, you got you. Well, the whole you know the whole season is one game. You played 162 games, and I'll be damned if we don't have to play another one to figure out who's gone. You know, I slept fairly well. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't nervous about the game or anything. I never did get nervous about games, but I just, I got up early. The bus didn't leave the ballpark, I think, that morning until maybe 9.30 or something. The game was at 1. But I was up early, and I was I was rested. I slept. I went to bed early, so I got up early. So I'm in the, I had coffee in my room, and it's about 8 o'clock, 8.15. So I decided oh, I'm going to just get my stuff, and I'm going to the park. I'd rather be at the park than waiting two hours for the bus in my room. So that's what I did. And, of course, Gene Monahan and, and uh, Herman Schneider, who was the trainer at the time, uh, they were already in the, at the park, and the, they were getting the training rooms ready. Now, every year that we'd play in Boston, I had always noted that one table in that training room had a bottom to it made out of plywood, and that's what secured the legs from uh, from folding. And I always said to myself, you know, that would be a great place to take a nap one day if situation <laughs> arose. 
So that morning I went in there, I, I was sitting down on the on the uh, trunk, on one of the uh, medical trunks, and I looked at that thing and I said, I think I'm going to take a nap. I got two hours before the game. So that's what I did. I rolled up a towel. I crawled underneath the table, and um, I told Gene Monahan, I said, Gene, I said, listen, I said, I'm going to take a little nap, just rest. I said, I don't want to be disturbed by anyone. I said, if the president calls and invites me for tea, Tell him I'll call him back later. <laughs> and Gene said, okay. So he he covered the uh, table with a sheet. I, w- I must have been under that table 10 minutes when all of a sudden we heard, we heard the door open and we heard Mr. Steinbrenner come in. And he was ranting and raving about something. I don't know what it was. And anyway, he walked in the training room and he looked at Monahan and he asked Gene, he said, Gene, he said, I got to talk to Gator. Where is he? Is he here yet? And, you know, poor Gene, he, you know, he, he didn't want to lie or anything like that. So <laughs> Gene told him, he said, he, he walked in here a little while ago and he said the last time that uh, I talked to him, he said he was going to take a walk down the right field line and reflect about this, the game. <laughs> so he, he took off. That's the last time we heard from him. And uh, I guess about 1230, Gene just kind of lifted up that sheet and he just kind of nudged me. All, they had players all over in the locker room and they were sitting down in the training room. And I had heard, you know, and, and I was I, I actually fell asleep. But there were times when you you kind of would hear guys. You know, you were kind of like uh, in dreamland. You know, you you were sleeping and or resting so hard, but yet you could hear guys talking. And uh, when when he lifted up the sheet about 12.30, he said, yeah, he said, games in about 30 minutes. I said, okay. I just got up. I rolled out of the thing. I looked at the guys sitting in the train. Hey, guys, how you doing? I walked out, put my uni on. I walked to the bullpen, and that was it. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> But, you know, you have to look, you, you know, um, I've always uh, had fun with uh, Nelly and another guy, Tanyan Sturts. I know they're compadres, they're thick as thieves, them too. But anyway, um, you know, the, the guys on that club were, were um, all special. I mean, we really were misfits. When you go by and you look at the guys on that club, we had some jokers, pranksters. Uh, you know, we, we, we were really a motley crew of guys, but we still knew how to play the game. And, you know, they looked, you know, guys were just looking at me. Yep, that's us. You know, that's how we go about our business. Hey, Ron, uh, Jake Brown here. I got to close it out on a sad note. Just want to get your reaction. Unfortunately, while uh, you've been on the show, Joe Morgan has passed away. We lost uh, a, oh, God. another legend. I just, your your immediate no, thoughts here, learning the news of that. Oh well, you know, um, what a what a what a marvelous human being. I, I had the pleasure to talk to him. You know, of course, you know they beat us in the '76 World Series, but I don't think any team would have beat that that team there. But you know, it, it was a pleasure to always talk to him. He was always um, upbeat. He was always uh, he was always eager to talk about something just a wonderful human being gator uh can't uh tell you how much it was a pleasure to talk to you today yeah remembering whitey and remembering joe morgan now as he passed away as we were taping this but it's always a pleasure to see you down at spring training it's always a pleasure to talk to you one of the yankee legends ron gidry thank you so much well thanks for having me on guys 
Episode 35, the Mike Mussina edition of the Pinstripe Pod is history, and so is our first season of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. We appreciate your support all season long and look forward to a full season with fans next season. Thanks to Jake Brown, Sarah McCrory, and Alex Camerata for producing the show this year. Catch up on all episodes of the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. You can also subscribe to the Post New Renaissance Man podcast with Jalen Rose wherever you get your podcast. For Yankees great Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll see you when the stove gets hot this offseason. Stay safe, everyone.